recap of the first two Sundays, Julie mentioned that we've started going through Galatians. We've only gone through the first nine verses, and you're like, wow, you must have been really long last two weeks. Yes, I really have been long last two weeks. <laughs> but uh, anyways, the recap, if I can, I guess, put it in simplest terms before I enter the sermon here, is Paul is saying this. There is no better version of the gospel. There is no better version of the gospel. The gospel that Paul told the Galatians, where Jesus came and he died for our sins, and our belief in that is what we need, That's, there's no better version than that. We don't need to add anything onto it. Jesus plus nothing is everything. And so we don't need to add Jesus to make it better salvation. We have Jesus. He is everything. And so we're transitioning into the next part of our our. I guess, sermon, and we're just doing one verse. And you're like, one verse? We're going to be in Galatians forever. And yes, that is the goal, that we're going to stay here for the rest of our lives. Just kidding. Um, we're staying here for a while, but it's going to be, I like going through it verse by verse. Um, oh, there's just value to it. And rather than taking the chapter and trying to pick through the chapter, to go through a little, like maybe four verses, then one, then maybe eight verses, it's really awesome. So I hope you're going to enjoy it and you're enjoying it so far. So this, I got a story to start with. As a child, as a teenager, like you go through this weird transition. We all know it's called puberty, and so during this time, you you're really trying to please everyone, or trying to you're trying to be cool. I went to a big school, and you're trying to fit in. You're trying to do what they do, dress what they dress in, right? So you can be liked, so you can be known. And I think of one thing that really defines high school. And I'm sure we all have pictures like this, is, you know what, we all have that hair, excuse me, I have a hair ball, <coughs> we all have that hairstyle that we look back and you're like, man, what was I thinking? I think a good Sunday would be for all of us to bring one of those pictures in, <laughs> we can just scroll through them. Uh, but I, I've been there, I, I dyed my hair blonde once, it looked terrible and felt even worse when it was getting dyed, but there was another haircut that I did, and in, this is me as, I think at seventh grade, Jeremy. Yes, that's acne. Yes, I grew it myself. Um, but you see that haircut? It's what we like to call the bowl haircut. It literally is defined as you put a bowl on someone's head, and you just shave around the bottom part of the bowl, or it's your hair is exposed. And so this was the cool thing. I don't know why it was cool, but it was. If I could bring it back, I wouldn't. And so, and like, I, I, if it, like I'll give you hair. If you do the bowl cut, I'd still be like, man, nah, maybe I'll pass. Um, but I did things like I waxed my arms once. They're like, why would you do that? And I was like, exactly, why did I do that? I don't know, I'm still looking for answers. But my friend did, and I was like, yeah, he's doing it, so I might as well do it. And so I waxed my arms. The funny, thing, the funny part of the story is that as I was doing it, I went and bought the wax myself. I was a very good uh, person, I guess, to do that. But I was waxing my arms, and then I'm doing it in the kitchen. I don't know why. And uh, my mom comes home from work, and she looks at me, and I'm like, oh, man, she's going to make fun of me. She's going to be like, what are you doing? And the first thing she says is, do you need some help? Like it was a normal thing that I was waxing my arms. Do you need some help? And so, uh, what a good mom. And, but, so I want, like, in life, I want my wife to be happy. And she really likes food. And so, when, amen and amen, right? We all love food. And so, when we go on vacation, she looks up for food joints. But there's this one story where we would go. We lived in Grenfell, Saskatchewan, which is an hour from Regina. And we'd have to talk about where we're going to eat food. And so... 
when we were there, and I was like, well, where do you want to eat? She's like, oh, no, where do you want to eat? I was like, oh, wherever you want to eat, babe, I love you. And she's like, oh, no, I love you too, wherever you want to eat. And so we did this for an hour and decided, no one really decided where we are going to eat. Uh, and then we just went to Applebee's. We thought, oh, this is good. And then we're sitting in Applebee's, and I'm just like, I don't like Applebee's. She's like, I don't like Applebee's either. I'm like, well, why don't we say anything? And so trying to please each other is, it can be hard sometimes. But we live, live in a people-pleasing society. We see that right now, right with the elections coming up. It's about pleasing the people because you want their votes. You don't take, maybe you don't take a stand because you know you'll lose a lot of votes if you take that kind of stand. And you, know, you, you want to say what Canadians want to hear. Like maybe politicians who hate cats will hug a cat or own a cat. And just to get you know, the cat lovers votes out there, you know, all 20 of them. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love cats. The Broadway musical, of course. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love cats, seriously. But we live in a society where the customer is always right. Businesses and stores aim to please. The Costco return policy is glorious. We all love it. I heard of someone returning something three years later saying, yeah, I didn't like it. Like, you didn't like it for three years? Like, you know, this, the thing is, yeah, I'm done with it. That's just to say, I'm done with this. And seriously, are the customers always right, though? And for those who work in customer service, we can say, no, they're not. But we are also created for relationship. We're created to have relationship with others, with people. And so rejection creates this pain and trauma. Rejection is one of those top five fears for a lot of people. For most of the people, if there's a, there's a poll taken, it averages that rejection is up in the top five. And so when we try to please people, you know, it, it, sometimes it pays, right? It does pay. But it also, it costs us too. It costs us our codependency, maybe control, maybe disappointment. And so what Paul is saying to the Galatians in these first 10 verses is following a false gospel is going to cost you the real gospel, going to cost you relationship with Christ. Let's pray before we read this verse. Father, we, I thank you for your word and how it is alive. And Lord, we want it to, to sit, Lord, in our hearts. Lord, we want, to, we want to chew on it. We want to dwell on it. Lord, we want to be changed by it. But we know that your spirit is here and it does a mighty work in us. And so we open up to what you have for us today. Lord, we pray that these words would just transform our hearts. Lord, that we would leave this place um, different than when we came. And so I know I pray it every Sunday, but Lord, that's our, that's our heart. It's my heart here. To leave this place changed. In your name we pray. Amen. So Galatians 1, verse 10, it says, oh, I should have took that picture down earlier. <laughs> Sorry, you had to look at that. <laughs> Anyways, it's still there. Okay, here we go. All right, Galatians 1, verse 10. If you don't have your Bible, it's up here on the, on the screen. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So, apparently there's an accu accusation being made against Paul. That the reason Paul didn't tell them about you know, circumcision or about the dietary laws, the reason he didn't do those things is he wanted to win friends and influence people. So like, I don't want to tell you those. That's what it's assuming. That you know, I, I want to win your friendships. So I'm not going to tell you you need to continue to do these things. So the accusation is that Paul soft-pedaled the gospel in order to gain converts. 
So Paul says, and he says this before, and we read this last week, if anybody preaches other than this, let them be condemned. That kind of statement, you know, really isn't a friend-making kind of statement. Paul is like, who's trying to win friends now? Because I'm trying, if I'm trying to win friends, then I'm not being a servant of Christ. If I'm trying to tickle your ears, then I do not love Jesus. So in verse 10, when it says, I'm now trying to win the, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Paul's idea was not, I want to persuade God to my point of view. The idea is that God was his audience. When Paul spoke, he spoke first to God, not to human, not to man. And then it continues. It says, or am I trying to please people? Paul's first obligation was to please God and not to please men. He refused to shape his message just to please his audience. He was more concerned about pleasing God. Excuse me. Though it's not specifically said, we sense now that Paul made a contrast between himself and those who brought the different gospel. Now he's going to contrast between them. Apparently in some way that different gospel was built around the idea of pleasing men. So he's saying the other gospel is actually around pleasing men. So he's coming back being like, no, like, I'm not bringing the gospel that's going to be pleasing, like trying to please you. But the other one is actually trying to tickle your ears, make you feel good. Actually make the other people feel good. He's turning the tables on them. See, the Jewish people are trying to present a gospel that they believe is right. But when we've said this over and over again, it is pleasing to them that these Gentiles still carry out the necessity of fulfilling what needs to be done to be a Jew. They still want that to be carried out. It's, they, that's how, that'll please them if it's, this is still carried out. Believing in the what Jesus accomplished on the cross wasn't enough to be saved. Not for them. It had to have more to satisfy them, to please them. So the Jews are like, you know, actually, there needs to be a little bit more to, to please me. For the Gentiles, the Jews, they were influential people. They were the chosen ones. Right? They, were, they were taught by some of the disciples that walked with Jesus. Sometimes it's hard to stand in front of influential people and not bend to their will. And we know that's true for our lives. We've maybe been there. But if we jump ahead in this book, we see Paul, he does it. He stands in front of some influential people, and he stands for what he knows is right. We see Paul show the Galatians it is about pleasing God. It's about pleasing God. Paul certainly understood the pressure of influential people, how sometimes we feel we can compromise our gospel-rooted principles. In fact, in Galatians 2.1, he describes a time when it would have been very easy for him to fudge on his convictions in order to win the approval of those who were influential. He had this opportunity. He could have. He could have been like, you know, I can maybe win these people for Jesus, so I'll maybe, you know, muddy what the gospel says a little bit, because it's going to bring them in eventually. He made a trip to Jerusalem to meet with the leaders of the early church. While there, some exerted tremendous pressure upon him to have his colleague Titus circumcised. And you know, that wouldn't be fun for somebody else to make the decision for you to be circumcised. Anyways, Titus did not oblige, and he used the words false brother. He used the words false brother when he said that. And said they were trying to take their freedom they received from Christ and make them slaves. So they'd received this freedom in Christ, and if they were going to bend to somebody else's will, then they were going to be slaves now 
from the freedom that they had already received. Sometimes pleasing people, we feel like maybe we, we become a bit enslaved by that. What Paul was accused of was trying to please others. Because what Paul said was the gospel, that Christ came and died for our sins, and confession in Christ's death and resurrection meant you are now in the body of Christ, it seemed too easy for the Jews. Too easy. The law was now fulfilled in Christ, and the Jews, they still wanted it to be kept the way it was. The Jews wanted their laws to be fulfilled. They actually wanted to be pleased, the Jews did. Because the fact that all Gentiles had to do but was believing in Christ's resurrection and confess their sins was a slap in the face to following their king, especially dirty Gentiles. I'll say it like this. A student from Burrell High School, I grew up in the States, and so there was Valley High School where I went to, and there was Burrell High School. It's our rivalry. Everybody has, I'm sure, a rivalry they can think of when we talk about high schools. But one time, student moves into the community, into Valley. Now, he enrolls in the school. He's accepted to play on the football team. But, you know, but that isn't enough for the, for the football team. You know, you're still not a Valley Viking. You're still, you're not true to the black and gold. Ugh. Man, I love high school. No, I really don't. <laughs> But and so in order to be a Valley Viking, in order to, to be you know, truly a Viking, you need to prank the other school now. High school pranks, of course. Every cliche. But, you know, but the reality is they're already a Valley Viking. They attend the school. They, they're excited to be part of the programs. You know, he's wearing a Valley Viking t-shirt. Like, he goes to the classes. Like, he lives in the community now. Uh, but it isn't enough. It was already fulfilled. But to the people who maybe attended there forever, right? they grew up there, they grew up going grade school, valley, valley school system. Or maybe their family had been there. Right? It wasn't enough. No, you can't just come and be a valley Viking. So it seems the Jews said to the Gentiles that Paul was leaving out the laws in order to be saved because he was trying to please you. And so what Paul does in verse 10 is give an account of why he is willing to talk this way. He is willing to talk this way because pleasing people is much lower on his list of priorities than serving, than serving Christ. You see, two things are at stake when the gospel is perverted. One, the glory of Christ is perverted. The other is the salvation of sinners. If the gospel is twisted... The all-sufficiency of Christ's work is dishonored, and the way to salvation for sinners is blocked. And we don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to say, this is what you need to do, adding things on, but this is the, actually the only thing that you need to do in order to be saved. I don't want to be the one who blocks that. Therefore, in order to serve Christ, to advance his glory and achieve his saving purpose, Paul must oppose the perversion of the gospel with all of his might, whether it pleases people or not. He is so serious about this. He's like, I, this is right, and I don't care how these people feel, but this is right. This is the gospel, and I have to believe that as I stand for it, it's honoring God. So we see that Paul says this, and he says this later in the Galatians. He says, for the glory of Christ and for the good of those who may yet believe the gospel— Paul is willing to speak unpleasant truth. He's saying, but this is for the glory of Christ. This is for those who yet believe in the gospel. This is why we're standing. 
for those who are going to come and hear this and accept it and follow him. The lesson to learn from verse 10 is not that the more people you can displease, the more spiritual you are. I've offended you. Well, look how spiritual I am. Hashtag sorry, not sorry. <laughs> That's not what verse 10 is saying. Paul learned how to live in the tension. He learned how to live in this tension of serving others without being a servant to them for approval. It was never Paul's aim to alienate people. On the contrary, in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it says this, Do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please all men in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Paul wasn't, he wasn't out there saying, you know, I'm, I'm here to offend you, take it or leave it. Right? He doesn't have a complex saying, like, I won't care who I offend. Actually, I don't want to offend you. Right? He's not wearing two hats here. His aim is to, right, please, not please people, but to serve people. But he's not going to bend his will if there is a different gospel. He's like, this is true. I cannot bend to this because the gospel is the way that people will be saved. This is the most important thing. And in Romans 15, 12, he says, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to edify him. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached thee fell on me. In other words, it is good you know, to, to speak to people, to serve people, to, to please them in a sense, providing that pleasing them is a means of their salvation and their edification to God's glory. It's not being fake, because what we bring is good news. This calls for a heart of deep spiritual wisdom to know when to say this, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That is not actually how the gospel goes. We need wisdom. We need season, and we need to be gracefully seasoned in, our, in how we speak. But in all of it, we need to heed to the scripture that says this, let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. Colossians 4, 6. See, essentially, seeking approval is pleasing people out of fear. We want their approval because we fear the consequence, maybe internal or external. Should our sense of self-worth come from someone else's view of us, or should it come, or should it be grounded in even in what we think of ourselves even? Like, I think of this as myself. Or I need to, what does somebody tell me of myself? Or should, like, our approval, or should, like, the person we choose to please or, or to seek or to follow be the one who cares, loves, sustains, regardless of our performance? Like, our performance to Christ, it doesn't matter. He loves us. So we have this fear of God versus fear of man battle. And so when we fear man, when we're maybe a servant of people, you have an inordinate desire to please other people. You are motivated by, you know, a fear of men. You pretend to serve God when you really intend to serve yourself. Maybe you're anxious for approval from others and distraught when, they don't, when, you, when you don't get it. Maybe you parent to be, a fr like to be a friend rather than being a parent. Maybe it's why people continue to go back to painful relationships. Maybe it's why we get anxious when we don't get a call or a text back from somebody and we're worried, like, oh, what does they think of me? Oh, what's going on? Maybe it's why we try, you know, it's to control circumstances or people. 
But when we're serving Christ, when we have a, a fear of God, and I'll, I'll talk about fear in, in a second here, or being a servant of Christ, you have this all-consuming passion just to please God. You're inspired by, you know what, the fear of God or this reverence of God. Your reverence for God is what gives you inspiration. You actually intend to serve God by meeting the needs of other people. Servants of Christ simply love others and leave approval or disapproval to the judgment of God. Maybe then as a parent, you, know, you can be assured knowing God loves our children more than we love our children. You know, those damaging relationships that sometimes we continue to go back to can be let go because we don't need those people because we have Jesus. We have everything we need. Maybe we can relax when someone <laughs> doesn't get back to us right away on the phone. Because Jesus, he's in control of everything. He is constantly available to us. When we need to talk to him, we can talk to him. And then we can let go of those circumstances or let people, because we know that God is in control. We know he is in control of everything. Fear of God is something that's good. Fear of man is not. When we hear fear in the Bible, we hear these words. It means like in awe and you're attracted to him. You're amazed by him. You're worshiping him. You revere him. You place him first. When we hear fear, that's what we think of. That's what's said in the Bible. Those kind of words. So in the term, fear of man means seeking approval of them. That's why Paul says the approval of other people. Using the biblical term for fear then, the fear of man is that we are in awe, amazed by their approval and acceptance. We worship it. We revere it. It fills us when you get noticed and like. And this is true. I, I can even say it's true for me. Don't I have this, like, don't we have the sense, though, that we have to please men, right? There's a sense that we have to, right? I have a boss. I need to do quality work in order to keep him happy so I can keep my job. Is this like a catch-22? Well, like, what do I do with the verse, right, about being kind to my neighbor? Like, pleasing people, though, is this identity issue. When we do something that is good and the person is satisfied with what we did, you don't have to worry and think, oh, no, I'm a people pleaser, Jesus, forgive me. I'm so sorry. I did something that this person liked. Now I'm a people pleaser. I don't want to be a people pleaser. Should I do anything good for someone? Because if they feel good now, then I, I feel bad because I made them feel good. Like, oh my gosh, what am I supposed to do? I mean, our sign out there says to serve people. Jeremy, what are you doing to me? Get to give me a complex. That doesn't mean... And like Christ was serving people. He was out there doing this. Like, is he a people pleaser? Christ was serving people, but that doesn't mean he's not like a people pleaser. Explain this to me. When we see Christ, we see him serving people. He is helping the ones who are poor. He's helping the ones broken. He's helping the ones that are downcast. He's helping the ones that are left out. Christ mentioned that when you help the poor, it's like you're helping me. He tells the story of helping the man on the side of the road who has been beaten. We see these stories. We're supposed to be like Jesus, to help others, to serve others. We see Mark 10.45 sum up why Jesus came. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, when we serve some, someone, there is something in us, it costs us a little bit. Maybe our time. Maybe our finances. Jesus' death wasn't about him. I'm pretty sure 
he wasn't on the cross. And he, I'm pretty sure when he was on the cross, he didn't feel like a million bucks. Oh, this is the best. I feel really good right now. Like, I'm sure he felt pain. He felt it. Christ knew where his identity was. It was in the Lord. He didn't need to please us. People pleasing isn't about the other person. It's actually, it's about us. It fills us. It gives us value. It makes us feel worthy. And that's the problem. When we do things to please people, you know it's going to give you value. You find your value when you've done something for someone. When you feel down, you go out of your way to do something for someone because if they approve, then you feel you have value now. When we are supposed to just serve people because we love people. So you are looking for your value in people rather than Christ. You have made that person then, when you are looking for their approval, when you're looking for them to fulfill you, then that person now becomes the idol in your life. You crave their approval as though it's the bread of life. And listen, having to please people, to find value, to find who you are, is hard because usually there's a multiplicity of people that you're having to please, that you're looking for value in. And they're, val they're changing constantly how they view and how they feel. And they have emotions that range up and down. Like maybe you're trying to please someone and it isn't going well. They're not giving you the feedback you want. And you are getting upset or depressed. And so you even try harder to do something to please them so that you know that they will be proud of you. And you just try and you try and you try. And you see, you become a slave. A slave to them. A slave to pleasing people. Proverbs 29.25 says, Fear of man will prove to be a snare. It traps you, right? A snare traps you. You become controlled by the people you are trying to please. Now they are controlling you. When you are people pleasing, you are trying to work to give yourself an identity. You are doing works to find approval. But the gospel is saying this. You are approved because of Jesus Christ. See, the difference is this. It's not serving, but who are you a servant to? To serve people, as our sign says in the entry, is about, isn't about pleasing people. But to be a servant to people is about pleasing people. Or people pleasing. We are simply to be a servant to one person, and that is Jesus. Jesus is the one who holds our identity. He looks down on us, and he loves us. He loves you. He loves all of us. I can't be a, ser I can't be a servant to Christ, maybe you might ask. Like, he might do something that I don't like. We can trust in Jesus. This is the one who came, and like I said, he died an unpleasant death on the cross for us. So God could have a relationship with us. Jesus, who places standing with God now upon us so we can be a part of the family, now called Jesus our Savior, but also we call him our brother. Our identity is now in him. If you remember back in February, I did this message where it's about our identity, where there's true things about us, true things like, you know, I'm a mom, maybe you have a tattoo, or maybe you're from Germany, Germany or maybe you're from America, um, maybe you failed, maybe, maybe you're broken, or maybe you're divorced, maybe you have 14 cats, 13 cats, 12 cats, I don't know. But, you know, these are true things about you, true things, like you work, you, you have a job, these are true things about you. But the truest thing about you is that you are beloved ch children of God. 
And 1 John 3.1 says that. You are beloved by him. You are his child. So as the beloved, you are reconciled to God. As the beloved, you are, you're all, you are forgiven all of your sins. You are adopted by God. You possess every spiritual blessing. You smell good to God. And if you're a teenager, you say amen. And you are in the Son. And the Son is in you. And the Spirit is in you. As the beloved, these are the truest things about you. Yes, true might be that you have had these things happen in your past, but that doesn't mean that's who you are. The Son is in you and the Spirit is in you, all because of selfless, powerful, kind, sacrificial Jesus. The great things as servants of Christ is we have to please God and we are already pleasing in His sight. But we wrestle with this struggle. We all do. I know I do. And it's not bad that people encourage you, it's great, like I said. But it's when that's what we seek above Christ. And so we have this struggle as followers of Jesus. Matthew 10.22 says this, All men will hate you because of me. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. These are some pretty intense statements. So this is a huge struggle. We all, to a certain degree, want approval of others, and yet, as a Christian, it might offend some people. If we align ourselves with Jesus, we can expect criticism. I'm sure we've all been there, where it's like, how can you follow that, that old religion? And like, it's so, it speaks hate and things like that. Or it's like, we're facing this in our culture today. And why? Because of who Jesus says he is. He is the way, the truth, and the life. People don't like that he, the fact that he is the only way because it maybe means they're wrong. The implications of that mean we have to center our lives on him then. That's radical and offensive. All that we do revolves around this person, this one person, Jesus. What he says about who we are and why we need him. We're sinners. And we need him. And he came and died for us. You mean I'm a bad as that murderer? I'm a bad as that guy? That's insulting. So basically, this free gift of grace is offensive to people, and they will not like us because of it. And that's the, that's the rub. That's the struggle. So sometimes we want their approval, and so we get caught. We keep quiet about the greatest message of the world. Therefore, the result sometimes is that we stop sharing the gospel. Why? Because, of the, because our, the highest priority for us in that moment is the approval of men from fear. And this is stronger to us than revering God in that moment. All right, sometimes we know I should really say something, but I'm not sure what they're going to say about me. You know, if you feel that, it's like I really should say something, you trust that that's God speaking to you. And just like, hey, like, can I pray for you? Or we like, hey, I'd like to invite you to church. So sometimes we default to, I believe in Jesus, but I don't want to try to convert people. And it's not us that convert people. We simply just present it, and it's Christ's work that's going to do it. 
What is being declared is that Jesus isn't that important when we don't maybe share or we're trying to improve men because I, I, I don't want everyone to know. Paul's priority was that he was a servant of Jesus, not of man. Why was this his priority? In, oh, maybe we'll go back. Ooh. There we go. Technical difficulties. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, 16 to 18, it says this. This is why Paul finds that Christ such as the highest priority, as why he serves him. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. At the worst time of Paul's life, no one stood with him. When he could have bent into their expectations of them, of what people were saying, of what maybe he, the prison, people who were imprisoning him could have said, like, you know what, do this and you'll get out. Jesus was enough. So much so, he didn't hold anything against his friends. Jesus being enough meant that he could be like Jesus in that moment. Like, Jesus is enough for us. Jesus plus nothing is everything. We don't need Jesus plus approval of man equals salvation. There are great promises of Jesus being with us. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down on green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. Pro Psalm, I think I said Proverbs. Psalm 23. That's Psalm 23. Psalm 27 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? He's with us. The promise is he's with us. Our loving Father will be by our side in those moments when people do not think the highest of us or maybe don't even like us. When approval of man seems like the best way and causes fear, like what do I got to do to be approved by these people? Meditate on who Jesus is in you and who you are in him. Fill your attention on who is with you, not whom seems to disapprove of you. Dwell on the fact that you are approved by God through Jesus, and he is the one we are to revere. I'll call Julie up on the worship team. What can we do to be servants of Christ? Simple. I'm not trying to, like, promote the sign that's out there. But the sign is the Great Commission, if you see the sign before you enter. And it says this, love Jesus. We are to commit to Christ. Commit to him. Commit to the one who came for us while we were still sinners and died on the cross for our sins. Commit to him. Love him. How do we know that we love Jesus? My favorite verse is 1 John 3, 16. For this is how we know love, that he laid down his life for us, that we lay down our lives for others. It's not about people pleasing. That's about serving people. That's about being like Jesus. That's about being the light into the world. It takes the eyes off of us and it puts them on Jesus. Not only that, but we become more like Jesus when we serve. Galatians 5.13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Serve one another. As we are there for people, we begin to grow with them in their relationship with Christ. We speak into their lives, and then we make disciples. Then these disciples do what we just showed them. 
They love Jesus, they serve people, and make disciples. This is what we're called to do. The gospel. Oh, it might offend some people. But, man, what if it brings people into eternity? I have to tell them. I have to tell them. It's the most important story. It's the most important message. It's the most important thing that they're ever going to hear. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you today. And that's a, a promise kind of statement. He wants to speak to us. He always wants to speak. He wants to place some truths on our hearts, though. He wants to place some maybe truths on your hearts about who you are. He wants to take some of those insecurities away. Actually, he wants to take them all away. I mean, I can give you things to do. I can give you lists to do. But it is only Christ's work, the work of the Holy Spirit in you that will change you. It's not me. It's when we say, yeah, Jesus, yeah, I, I see this in my heart, in my life. I, I really do try to get approval of people. And it does control me sometimes. And I, I feel like, a, I feel burdened by it. I, I feel like if I'm not, I can't please that person, I'm trying to please someone else. Christ wants to take that burden. To take that insecurity. He wants you to live free. Know that you are a beloved son of God or daughter of God. That you, you, your spirit's in you. He loves you. He cares for you. That he's already pleased with you. I'd rather find my identity knowing that, man, this guy, he already loves and cares for me already. I, I don't have to do anything to approve him, but I follow him because I love him. Because I, he so loved me, right? A love relationship does something. He wants to release that burden. Christ wants you to know that your value is in him. People are important. I know I care what my wife thinks. I know I care what my kids think of me. I do. What my parents think and such. I do care. I can't just go live and say, I don't care what you think about me. Paul says, you know, we, we go and we, we need to be help people, be pleasing to people. I know that they will... But I know they, my family, you guys will value me when I'm true to who I am, a child of Christ. I know not everybody will value this, but I know Christ is the one I am to please. The one that I want to hear say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. So, as we close here, you know what? Christ, Holy Spirit, He can do work when we're driving. He can do work as we're sitting with our family and we just feel impressed on us. Uh, I'm here to pray for you. You feel that burden. You're like, I don't want to feel that burden of people pleasing anymore. Like, there's some things I believe about myself that I don't want to believe. I just want to believe that Christ is the one. Believe all those things He says, says about me. Like, I'll be here to pray for you. I'd love to pray for you. You know, as we, Julie sings this next song, take that time. Holy Spirit, right where you are, work on your heart. Maybe reveal things that you know are true. Maybe you're trying to cover up. And just leave it to him. But yeah, you know, I do really look for approval from people above the approval of Christ. So as she sings, I'll be here. You can come down for sure and I'll pray for you. But as we sit,
Just let the Holy Spirit work on your heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your spirit is alive and well. Lord, that he does work. And Lord, he reveals things to us. He brings things to maybe our remembrance, things maybe we believe about ourselves, maybe some of those, those lies that we've been believing, maybe like I'm being controlled by people and by what they think and approve, and I'm, I'm trying to please too many people. I feel like I'm a servant to them rather than serving. Or I just want to be a servant to you. I want to have this fear of you. And this fear is not scary. It's this reverence, this worship, this, this, uh, uh, just this love. That, man, I love God so much. That's it. It's just the deep, passionate love of God. So we want to we wanna leave changed. Lord, we wanna, I want to leave changed. Lord, I know there's moments where I'm like, I, I do that. And I'm going to let the word, Lord work on my heart and my mind just reveal those things to you. This is who you are, Jeremy. This is what I think of you. So I thank you. Lord, that we are pleasing in your sight.